0: As already has been said this morning, that it is Reformation Sunday. And we've already heard the Reformation mantra, in Scripture alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to God be the glory alone. A powerful phrase summarizing Scripture and how salvation is applied. This morning we're going to be looking at one of the key passages which I already mentioned, Ephesians 2, 1-10, which focuses at the heart of this Reformation mantra by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. Let us now read together from God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word from Ephesians 2, 1-10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which with He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with, with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, holy and almighty God, we thank you for your word. Please open our hearts and open our minds as we, as we hear your word preached. And that we may not only see the glory of who you are, that we may live in accordance with your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Near the beginning of every year, the President of the United States usually gives a speech known as the State of the Union. A speech which usually recaps all that has gone on in the previous year. Where, where our nation has been and where it is now. And possibly where we hope for it to be soon. The president, he usually outlines his plan of action, what he would like to accomplish through the rest of his presidency or during the specific year that he is in. Most of the big time agenda items are either announced or they're given more of some specific details to them. Most of the time, even when the president is someone whom you voted for or even grew to like, the speech usually tends to remind us of where we are as a country at this exact moment as well as what is going on right now that is good and bad. In the second chapter of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul begins the section of his letter in a similar speech, aimed at followers of Christ. The topic is at every single person on earth, regardless of gender, age, nationality, or people group. His message is that every single one of us, from our birth, are radically and inescapably depraved, meaning that we are all sinful to our core. Paul's message, it doesn't end there, though. He reminds us that there is hope, divine intervention on God's part, that by His grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Praise be to God for this wonderful message of God's grace of this, in this gospel. Now, these are big concepts, depravity, grace, and faith. But it is important for us to understand what they mean and how they relate to one another. If we are to grow in our faith in Christ and to share our faith with others. Let's look at this first concept of the radically depraved state of humanity. We see this in verses 1 to 3. Specifically, let's look at verse 1. It says this, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Now, many in us, our society today, are are fascinated with the idea of zombies or the walking dead. Most of their brains are mostly dead, bodies decaying, yet they're somehow still a little bit alive all going off just basic instinct. The only thing that they want to do is feed. In these three verses, we see a similar type of concept, meaning that everyone since Adam is like a spiritual zombie. We are born with a sin nature, which makes us spiritually dead. We see this here in Romans 8.3. Even though we are able to walk around this earth, on average, for about 70 years-ish, we are unable, by our own works, to make ourselves spiritually alive. And like a zombie who does not care about their physical state, we as a humanity don't really care about our own spiritual deadness on our own. We are only able to see this spiritual deadness when God opens our eyes to it. Until then, we are wandering around life, seeking after only temporary things, never looking at everlasting things, unless God, by His spirit, makes us alive in Him. Every single one of us, no matter how many good earthly deeds are, no matter how many earthly good deeds we do, are able to save ourselves from spiritual deadness that paul is talking about in these verses no matter how much cash we throw at it no matter what types of earthly deals that you make no matter how nice you are no matter um, if each and every one of us walks every single old lady across the street for the rest of time no matter what this does not save us from the fiery pits of hell of which there is no escape there is no parole Eternal separation from God is what hell is for our radically depraved souls. Now, speaking on depravity for just one second here, when we hear hear terms like radical or total, the definition can be confusing. Unfortunately, some people think that we're bad, but there's still a bit of silver lining to us. There's still a little bit of goodness in us. like Like the embers of a fire trying to be stoked can return to a roaring fire. A lot of people think that that's how we are and that how we can be a follower of Christ by something that is in us. This is a nice sentiment. Unfortunately, there's no foundation for it in Scripture. Rather, what we see in Scripture is in Romans, uh, specifically here and in Romans 3, 9 through 18, that there is absolutely no good in us. We are completely unable to do anything good in the sight of God. It may be good in the eyes of men, but because of our sin nature, or the deadness of our sin, passed down from our father Adam, every single good work that we do here on earth is tainted by our sin. Like a reformed criminal, never able to escape their past, always being suspected of a crime in their local community. That is how our good works are tainted by sin. So to recap, the state of humanity We are spiritually dead because of our sin and because of the original sin of Adam, which gives us a sin nature. And there is nothing that we ourselves can do about it. Yet there is good news. That is not all. So far, we've also looked at verse one, but in verse two, there's even more things um, that are about our spiritual deadness, some symptoms of it, of which that because of our spiritual deadness, we also follow a master. A master. Not the creator of all, not God Himself, but something of His cre- but, um, but something of a creature fallen creation, Satan himself. Verse 2 says this, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Even though we are as God's creation, even though as God's creation we are to follow him. As our master, as our king, we have chosen to follow the prince of darkness instead. The darkness instead of the light. Or as Romans 6.20 puts it, because of our sin, we are slaves to it. Following Satan as our master rather than the holiness of God. For due to our spiritual deadness, we only seek what gratifies us in the moment, which is the promise of Satan. Satan. Unable to see the freedom which comes in Christ. And the restoration of our relationship that we truly desire. Because of our slavery to sin and our radical depravity, we are deserving of God's wrath. As verse 3 shows us. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We have seen this same pronouncement recently in our study of Malachi, which we've been having for the last month or so and we'll be returning to next week. We have broken our part in the covenant, which was made with Adam as our representative. And we are deserving of the punishment which comes with it. Physical death and eternal, unending punishment in hell. Yet, like Malachi, we see hope. Hope that God promises in the next verse, which we'll look at a moment. But right now, we need to consider the importance of understanding the depth of our depravity and what it means a connection to the grace of God, which we see in the rest of this passage. Because of our depravity, there is no good in us. There is nothing that we can do to be saved. We seek out sinful actions, like an extremely dehydrated person searching for just one ounce of water. And therefore, if we are to be saved, our salvation from sin must come from outside of ourselves. It must be applied to us. For we cannot even reach out and grab it because we don't know it's there. It's like a death and blind person trying to experience the beauty of a painting. It cannot be done. And furthermore, no one is outside of this depravity. It is also total, in it's encompassing in every person since, since Adam onward. No one outside of Christ has ever lived on this earth and been free from sin. And this, fa- this is the foundation of the gospel. For if we don't understand the depth of our depravity, we cannot fully understand and appreciate the bountiful mercy that God showed by his grace. Praise be to God for being willing and able to reach down into the muck and save us from drowning us in sin by showing us grace. For we would never seek it out on our own. This is something that is a basic element of our worship of God, both in our singing to him and our daily walk with him. And this, this, also, this concept of depravity should also influence how we view others. How are you viewing your neighbor, your family member, your coworker, your friend or even your child who does not know Jesus as their savior? Do you look on them and see them just as sinful as you are? Needing just as much grace from God as you do yourself? Do do they need to hear the gospel in word and deed? And the amazing love of God that he sent Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice for sin. For when you share the gospel with someone, don't just share the good news of the grace, but you also must share the bad news of sin. For the good news of God's mercy is to show His glory, how He saves us from the depravity of sin. Both are integral. For who desires to be, to sa- to be saved if they don't know they're drowning? None. And that is what God is doing to us by showing us His mercy opening our eyes to the sin that surrounds us and has engulfed us. And this brings us to the second part of our passage, the grace of God, which we see in verses four to seven. Verse four specifically says this, but God being rich in mercy because of great, because of the great love with which he loved us. God's grace and his mercy is the heart of the gospel. So much in Scripture and, and the works about Scripture have been written about this core doctrine. For me, recently, I've been reading through the Puritans, a number of Puritan works first focusing on God's grace. And they have been a wellspring of hope and renewal for me. One book I was reading this past week was Grace Abounding in the Chief of Sinners by John Bunyan, which, as the title suggests, is about his conversion to Christ God showing his abundant mercy and his grace, loving, loving Bunyan before Bunyan could ever love God. Then detailing his struggle with sin and with the Holy Spirit sanctifying him, changing him from the inside out, conforming him to the image of Christ, all because of the grace and the mercy that God showed him. What God has done for a person like John Bunyan, He does for each and every single person He saves from sin. God is boundless in His mercy and shows us His love before every anyone could ever love Him by sending Jesus, the Son, as the sacrifice needed for sin. For because of our radical depravity, we ourselves cannot be saved by our own works. Because God is merciful and because He shows us His grace instead of casting all of humanity into hell as we rightly and justly deserve, God loved us by sending Jesus to live the perfect life according to the law which He gave us to live that we could not obey. And He held up His end of the covenant fulfilling the law Perfectly as was required. Then he takes the curse of the law upon himself, physical death, taking all our sins upon himself by the way of being the perfect blood sacrifice on the cross, dying in our place. And after being under the power of death for three days, he rose again from the grave, defeating death and giving the blessing of the covenant a restoration with God, a restoration of our relationship with him and eternal life in him as the blessings of salvation brought all about by God's mercy. Praise be to God for his bountiful grace to the depravity of his children. Yet, is there only one way to be saved? Or in other words, is God's grace the only avenue to salvation from sin? We love looking at alternate paths to things. If you're like me, you use your GPS a lot. And if you fuss with it enough, you can see that there are alternate routes to your destination. A lot of them may not be as quick or as easy as they may be. For me, once I was, took a wrong turn and tried to fuss with it, and around, I think, 12 a.m. or, mid, or midnight or 1 a.m., I somehow ended up in downtown D.C. in a very p- bad part of it. Okay? Okay. Alternate routes are not always the best thing. While the world might give us an answer of, yes, there are alternate routes to salvation. There are multiple ways. Each and every single one of them is refuted in Scripture. Which all boil down to works-based righteousness. That if we do enough, we can earn our salvation. For as we see in verses 1 and 2 though, and now see it in verse 5, it says this. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. There is no other option for a person who is dead. For the dead cannot make themselves alive again. Just like a person dying, drowning cannot save themselves. They need a lifeline outside of themselves. The lifeline is the grace of God. Martin Luther, in his commentary on the Apostles' Creed, explained it beautifully this way. Neither you nor I could ever know anything of Christ or believe in Him and obtain Him for our Lord unless it were offered to us and granted to our hearts by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel. Meaning that it is only by God Are we saved? There is nothing from ourselves which makes it truly a gift, a gift of grace. As verse 9 points out, no one can boast in that because it's a gift of God. God's free gift of grace is not only the best option, it's the only option. But who gets this grace? Who gets this gift of unmerited favor with God? The answer is those who he has chosen before the foundation of the world. Not by the actions that we do or that we have done or will do, but by the will of God. He chooses whom he wishes by his will for his grace to give. It is his grace to give to whom he chooses. Like how many of us choose who we want our inheritance to go to? Maybe certain family members and not other ones. It's ours to give as we please. So it is God's choice to give this grace to whom He chooses. But what happens when God's gift of grace is accepted? What happens to us? In the next part of this passage, verses six and seven, it says this, and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in this coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. What happens to those who accept this grace given by God, by the power of the Holy Spirit? Union with Christ. These, the works of Christ, become our own. His righteousness, His good works get applied to our account. For the love that God shows to us through Christ was given so that when we are judged by the Father in His holy presence, instead of the Father looking at our sinful actions, the rags, the filthy rags of our works, He instead sees the holiness of Christ the richness of His works. Praise be to God for His mercy that He has shown upon us. So how do we apply this, this? How do we apply God's mercy to our daily life? Well, we see this in the first part of the sermon, and now it is key to our understanding of how we must act. Because God has shown mercy on His creation, we must show mercy on others. By loving them, caring for them, Showing them the grace that God has shown us in word and deed. We're also to share the gospel. And when we do so, as I said before, um, emphasize the radical depravity due to our sin. As well as the plentiful grace of God shown by His mercy. For as all-encompassing is the debilitating nature of our sin, so too is the absolute restorative power of God's grace. Hear that again. For as all-encompassing is the debilitating nature of our sin, so too is the absolute restorative power of God's grace. For it is by grace that we have been saved. This is the core of the gospel, the unmerited favor of God shown to his people. Praise be to the Father for His grace in sending His Son. Praise be to the Son, Jesus, for His life, death, and resurrection. And praise be to the Holy Spirit for enabling God's children to accept this gift of grace through faith in Christ alone. But what is faith? We hear about it on radios, in podcasts, movies, and shows, all about how faith, especially in a secular context, is a strongly held belief or idea, and that this definition of faith comes from something inside ourselves. We are responsible for our faith in something or someone, and how we place our faith in, in whoever we choose, putting that ball completely in our court, and while this is an an interesting definition. It is not one we see it all in Scripture. The most succinct and commonly used definition of faith is found in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Meaning that faith is trust in something that is outside ourselves. That we are certain of. Even though our eyes may not see it. It is faith, saving faith in Christ that brings about salvation by God's mercy as an act of his grace. And we see this in the last few verses of our, of our passage, verses 8 through 10, which say this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Faith is the mechanism which we receive the grace of God, just as grace is given so that faith can be in Christ. Verse 8 points this out. Our faith is not of our own doing. It has been given as the method of our salvation from sin. So this is to say that we do not, this is not to say that we don't put our faith in Christ. Far from it. But as we have seen from these verses in our passage, we cannot place our faith in Christ if he has not enabled us to do so. Meaning that all of salvation is from God. It is in him fulfilling the promise that he has made in the Garden of Eden to save us from sin. Like being given an envelope from a college counselor. Think back to your college days or think forward to them. All right, that he says on, his, on your behalf, even though you did not meet the minimum standards for enrollment, the university has granted you admission. Not only that, we've given you a full scholarship, and all of your classes, we've paid for them, and all of your classes, we've also completed them all for you. Here are all your grades you passed. Here's your diploma. All you must do is accept the enrollment into this college, which we've now enabled you to do. As far-fetched as this educational idea is, it illustrates the comprehensiveness of God's part in the salvation of our soul. We can do nothing on our behalf until God enables us to accept the gift by the power of his Holy Spirit. Enabling our faith is a gift from God. This underscores the sovereignty God's sovereignty over all things in our lives. From the rule over all of creation to the lives of every single person in creation. Praise be to God for his total and encompassing act of salvation of the sinner. So why is this free gift not something that we can do ourselves? The simple answer for us, it was shown in verse 9. If faith is something that we could do ourselves, then God himself would not be sovereign. And we could boast about our work. Additionally, because of our radical depravity, we can do nothing good without God. So everything must be through him and by him alone. Yet sadly, even though this doctrine is clearly presented in Scripture, it's not always taught this way. And it's one of the primary points of the Reformation. For back in the Middle Ages, there was a common practice in the Roman Catholic Church called the selling of indulgences. That God's mercy was so abundant and so rich, like a treasure chest being opened, that if you wanted to make sure you were going to heaven, or if you'd like to get someone out of purgatory, which is the Catholic doctrine of being in a middle ground between heaven and hell, which everyone goes to after they die, You could give money to the church or say so many prayers to Mary because you couldn't talk directly to Jesus, and your loved ones would get out of either hell or purgatory just by giving money or saying so many prayers. All of this is works based righteousness and is found nowhere in Scripture. This is one of the main points of Martin Luther's 95 Theses and the Reformation as a whole. For everything that we must believe has to be found in scripture. In scripture alone. And not as some obscure doctrine based off a single passage in scripture or written only by man-made documents. The grace of God cannot be bought. The grace of God cannot be sold. The grace of God cannot be bartered away. God is the only one who can save us, through, um, save us from sin through Christ alone. No other mediator is necessary. Christ died once as the perfect sacrifice by the perfect high priest for the sin of the world. He was the exact blood sacrifice needed shedding the right, the exact amount of blood for the forgiveness of sin. For not a single drop of blood was wasted. Not a single amount of pain or agony was endured extra to be used by self-righteous people for personal gain. No, by Christ alone are we saved, for He is the only way to salvation. This morning we have seen the core of the gospel, our sin, our need of God's grace, and how God shows his mercy by giving that grace and faith to those whom he chooses. For all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. For they are his creation, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Praise be to God for his abounding grace and his giving the gift of faith in Christ alone. So how are you sharing this grace with others? How are you acting upon the faith that God has given you? If you are staying silent, why? If you are, how can you share this gift of grace with others who may have not have heard of it? For God did not give this grace and this faith to his followers to be kept silent, but to be sh- to share, to share this gospel with all who will hear. Praise be to God. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, holy and almighty God, we thank you Father for your your love. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. For giving faith. Father, we thank you for giving Christ, so that all the glory may be to you. Father, if those there are those who are here who do not know you, Father, I, I pray that you would show them your you that show them their sin and show them your grace, Father. And for those of the, us who do know you here today, Father, I pray that you would grow us in your grace, so that we may proclaim your word and we may live according to your word by worshiping you all day. Every day. Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we heard this morning about this gift of grace and faith from God to his people, let us respond by singing one more song. song that was, a song that was not at the beginning of the Reformation, but a song that was sung during, the, during other parts of the Reformation, specifically in the mid-1700s. One which the themes of the Reformation are written throughout. a a hymn that was written during a turbulent time, which is praise to the Lord Almighty, the King of creation. Let us stand and sing.
1: Let's sing together. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. O my soul, praise Him, for He is Thy health and salvation. All ye who hear, now to His temple draw near. Join me in glad adoration. Praise to the Lord, who o'er all things so wondrously reigneth. Shelters thee under his wings, yes, so gently sustaineth hast thou not seen how all thy longings have been granted for what he ordaineth <laughs> praise to the lord who doth prosper thy work and defend thee Surely his goodness and mercy here daily attend thee. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he befriend thee. Praise to the Lord, praise to the Lord, O let all that is in me adore Him. All that hath life and breath, come now with praises before Him. Let the Amen sound from His people again, gladly for I we adore Him. Amen. You can be seated.
0: Service today. Anyone who is in our youngest class, um, those who are in first grade and under, um, um, Ellen, Ellen, and Molly down here are six. So you guys will be joining me in my class. So please look for me after this. Um, after the worship service. Also, there is no life quest this evening. Um, also, as a reminder, our community movie night is November 20th. Um, please invite your neighbors, your family, your friends, um, as we try to partner with this community, um, as well as um, we'll, be, we'll be selling a number of, of food items like chips and popcorn to help partner with and benefit the Lorton Community Action Center. Uh, for more information on this, please see your news bites. Um, also, Belvedere Plantation, we are going on November 6th. Um, today is the last day to RSVP. Please see me if you are interested in going, So, um, because we'll be um, having dinner there together as, as a church, so please let me know if you are interested in coming. Um, also, just as a reminder, um, the election um, is this Tuesday. Um, if you are able to, I encourage you to vote. Um, let us stand now for the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.
1: What would you like to say?